this week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. CM Punk's ugly ass dog was injured in the course of battle in the backstage brawl at Brawl Out. Or was he? The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, opens up about what was the last straw before giving up drugs and turning to Jesus. CJ Perry says that Tony Khan plays favorites in AEW and may be the reason why Miro isn't as prominent as he should be. And in the rivalry as old as time itself, Tony Khan claps back at Eric Bischoff. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome in. To another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I am your boy, Seb Grimes, and what a show we got for you this week. Coming off the heels of last week, being quite possibly the slowest week in the history that I've been doing this goddamn job here. Uh, I actually took the week off last week. Thought it was a perfect week to do so, as there just wasn't shit for news. I had a clip from, like, Darby Allen on, on the sessions, but it was only, like... You know, the coolest thing he talked about was, like, hanging out with Sting. You know what I mean? Um, there just wasn't shit to talk about in the news last week. But this week, not so much. A jam-packed week of podcast action. So let's go ahead and jump right to it. But before we do, if I could bug you real quick to please like Follow and subscribe at Seth Grimes Media. And if you're watching on YouTube, or even if you're not, go ahead and hop on over and hit the subscribe button over there. That way you won't miss any other clips that I drop. Got lots of awesome bonus content out this week, too. Uh, Did a review for the new Halloween movie, so that is up if you're into that kind of stuff. As it is the Halloween season, am I right? My favorite time of the year. Um, And then we also have a full ranking now that uh, Halloween Ends is out and everybody's talked about it. I go ahead and I rank all 13 films in the Halloween franchise. So got those up for bonus content. If you're into movies and horror movies in the Halloween franchise, I highly recommend you check those out. If not, let's talk some wrestling. Come on, let's go. Lots of news this week on the CM Punk Elite All Out Brawl Out Fallout, including news that CM Punk's ugly ass emotional support dog Larry was injured in the scuffle, in the kerfuffle. The story was dropped by Nick Hausman this week, as a matter of fact, the same Nick Hausman that was the target of CM Punk's planned attack at the all-out media scrum Uh, apparently cm punk's camp reached out to nick hausman and let him know that uh punk's dog larry that ugly fucking looks like it just came out of the sewer it was all fucking wet and been 
nappy and laying in the rain gutter for fucking four years or something. His ugly ass dog, apparently now, just all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, we're just hearing this now, uh, was sitting in front of the door when the young box kicked in the door. They kicked it in. Remember how they kicked it in? Um, and then they, uh, apparently the dog got kicked in the face in the process. The door hit him in the face, uh, loosened a couple of his teeth. And then when Punk was at a veterinary meeting after the show, completely unrelated, uh, he had discovered that his dog had two loose tooth and had to lose them because the door hit him in the fucking face. Um, people are skeptical about this. According to Dave Meltzer, other people are saying that it's a complete lie, a completely fabricated bullshit story from the CM Punk camp to put sympathy, you know, to baby face them up a little bit because this whole, uh, investigation thing has reportedly come to an end. Uh, there was a vignette already showing that the elite are returning eminently. So they're going to be coming back. Apparently, they were already backstage at AEW. They were already working. Uh, they just were not on camera yet. So apparently, all the investigation stuff is done. I don't know if this was information that was provided early on to the investigation and it just never reached the public. But you got to think uh, part of the story being Larry, the ugly ass fucking emotional support dog, was kicked in the face and lost a couple teeth. Might have been a big part of that story, was it not? Would it have not helped CM Punk's case? Because everybody, he is... Uh, also, according to Meltzer, was referred to by uh, at least one person as being a complete psycho backstage and wasn't even concerned about the dog. But had the dog been kicked in the face, had that happened uh, by the door, you know, kicked in the door, kicked and then the, it, you know what I'm saying? Don't play semantics with me, you cunt. Um, but we're uh you think that would have helped CM Punk's case? There's a lot of animal lovers out there. There's a lot of people who would agree that if you kicked a door in and it hit your dog in the face, if I kick in your door and it hits your dog in the face, you're gonna punch me. You're gonna punch me in the face. You're not gonna ask questions or be polite at that point. Your dog just got hit in the fucking face. Probably yelped if it was hard enough to lose teeth. You know, it had to have sold the kick, right? Um, you just think that that would have come out by now. Now, I'm not saying that it's false inherently just because it, it took all the way up till now to actually come out. Um, but what I am saying is that uh, I think it, it lend, would lend more to its credibility had it been something that came out earlier on where we all could have heard that, you know. Um, had that information right off the bat, that would have colored this situation a little bit differently. You know, is Punk just outright making stories up to babyface himself at this point? Is that what this is? Uh, you know, take all of this with a grain of salt, too, by the way, because Nick Hausman is a little bit more on the Punk side of the camp. I'm not saying he's leaning that way as far as where he believes in his personal feelings about the situation, uh, what I'm saying is he's more connected to Punk's side of the camp. He even said that uh, uh, Punk had texted him after the media scrum to kind of 
not necessarily apologize, but just kind of clear things up and that sort of thing. Um, let each other know that they're kind of square. You know, all's good in the hood, we're, but we're fine. Don't worry about it. No heat here, brother. Um, <clears throat> and, and this was leaked to Hausman from people within Punk's camp, if not Punk himself directly, because Hausman has said on record that Punk did text him after the media scrum. So obviously uh, Punk has that ability to do so. But Hausman also said that uh, he's not as close with the elite, but you know who is? Dave Meltzer. So you got Nick Hausman saying, hey, this is what Punk's camp is saying. And then you got Meltzer saying, oh, no, that's complete bullshit, you know, according to people. But consider the source. And I'm not saying Meltzer's lying, and I'm not saying Hausman's lying. I'm not saying anything's fishy here. I'm just saying take it all with a grain of salt. Consider the sources. Um, apparently, this whole thing is wrapped up now, and the Elite is coming back to AEW, and Punk is not, as far as we're aware. Now, he would be out injured anyway. He's going to be, he would he would have been out six, eight, ten months with his injury, regardless of any suspension. So, he's not coming back anytime soon, even if he is coming back. Um but certainly you can read into this a little bit, can you not? You can read into the fact that uh, the elite are coming back and there's still really no mention of CM Punk at all. He's persona non grata. Now, the other twist to this whole story with all these updates is that apparently the locker room has basically all come together and majority ruled that they don't want CM Punk back. They don't want him in their locker room and they don't want to work around him. Uh, there was a report coming out. Uh, I don't know who dropped this information. This may have been Meltzer, too, that uh, Chris Jericho apparently confronted CM Punk the night of the brawl out fallout. And uh, Punk basically, you know, uh, Jericho was like, hey, man, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know. Punk was basically like, hey, man, go fuck yourself. None of your business. You know what I mean? And that was the gist of it. And then uh, apparently Jericho called Punk a cancer to the locker room. I don't know that he would have said that to his face. Not to say he wouldn't have the balls to do it. Jericho's a confrontational guy. I absolutely think he would confront CM Punk. Um, but, you know, this is all hearsay at this point, but uh, Jericho is amongst the people in the backstage locker room saying that he has no interest in ever working with or around CM Punk again. And if it vote was up to him, he would cast out CM Punk that he is a cancer to the AEW locker room. A lot of other people are echoing that sentiment, too. Um, I got to tell you, just on a personal note, this breaks my goddamn heart. I was the biggest CM Punk fan, like a giant Marky Mark. Uh, he literally broke my heart, man. It really, it's sad as a fan to like that kind of fandom. It's like, you know how they always say, don't meet your heroes or whatever, you know, Punk was one of my heroes. And this is kind of the equivalent of me going up to Punk and saying, Hey Punk, you're my hero. And he turns around and says, Hey, fuck off, bitch. Fuck off, you tubby fucker, you. You punkin-shirted prick. You know what I'm saying? Like, it hurts. So I, this whole thing is really sad that, that it had to come to this. Um, it does not appear that Punk is going to return to AEW. You know, there's the rumors that, you know, I talked about. I did drop a clip last week. I didn't do a full show, but I dropped the clip last week of CM Punk uh, you know, that Punk is not likely to return, that they're negotiating the buyout of his contract and such. 
um, in the non-compete clauses was holding things up. Like, anybody else wants CM Punk, right? You know, I know a lot of people were making, that was a big to-do either last week or early this week, too, is that, oh, Triple H, people close to Triple H say he's always willing to do what's right for business. That was a complete non-news story. I don't know why this was ran with by so many different people. <laughs> It's like, hey, somebody said, hey, Triple H is the kind of guy that might hear out Punk and might be open to a return. Suddenly, this is news. CM Punk to WWE confirmed. It's like, chill the fuck out, bro. Chill the fuck out. Punk and, and Triple H never really got along either. You know, Punk has not been shy about his personal disdain for Triple H. And uh, Triple H, not a huge fan of punk either. And even if, you know, you know, we do what's good for business and blah, 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 right? You know, like, sure, it would be. I don't even know that it would be good business for WWE to bring punk in at this point. I think punk is, unless he's able to come in, make amends with his entire locker room, play a heel on TV, and, and earn a long track record of just being a decent human being, I don't know that he's ever going to have a place in wrestling anywhere ever again. Um, I just don't see anybody wanting him around, and I don't even see it being a big money. Now, you say that now, but like obviously, if WWE were to come out and be like, "Yeah, Roman Reigns versus CM Punk for the title," you know, and they did the, oh, you know, you know, I didn't even want, you know, you, the only reason you're on the roster is because I, you know, because of me, because Punk started the Shield basically, and he did not pick Roman Reigns; he had picked Chris Hero for that third spot, and uh, he picked Rollins, he picked Mox, and he picked Chris Hero for the Shield. Uh, when they were talking over the creative plans of, hey, we need these this faction of like hired guns to come in and, and help Punk retain the title against fucking, what was it? Uh, he was working with Ryback at the time. who Ryback should have won the title at that point. Even though Punk was on a historic run, Ryback, I think that killed his career. Other than him being a complete douchebag. But I digress. We're not talking about that. Um... So I just don't see that WWE is going to want to have any interest in CM Punk, but I could be completely wrong because there's money to be made off of him versus Roman feud. Absolutely. But after that, like what, you know, Sam Roberts had said that uh, what he would do, and this is actually kind of smart. Instead of just signing him to the roster, sign him for like a three match deal with like a couple appearances around each match and then go from there see how that works out. And that's actually not a horrible, you know, you can bring him in to work with Roman Bring him in to work with Cody would be another one. Probably even Seth, you could get a feud out of out of with Seth or or Kevin Owens or something like that, and then you know see where you're at after that. There's there's money to be made there. I just don't know how receptive the fans would be, and honestly, I don't know how thrilled Triple H would be to work with Punk or how thrilled Punk would be to work with Triple H. Um, there was interest punk you know punk was open to the idea of going back around the time that fox was really pushing to get him signed and that's when he appeared on that show with renee and page and shit um but even then vince uh vince at the time was said to have not wanted to work with punk he refused punk but that was vince and also punk being open to return to wwe that was under vince maybe he felt like he could work with vince Triple H is a different animal because Punk's also the kind of guy that he's going to see Triple H as a peer. 
You know what I mean? And Punk's got a big enough ego. Like, I think Jericho is in that kind of that same boat. Like, that's another reason why he's probably not going to go back to WWE anytime soon. He'll get that Hall of Fame run, right? But he's not going to... I can't imagine he's excited to go work for Triple H, at least not for a full-time. You know what I mean? So as long as he wants to be full-time active, I think he's going to be on the AEW roster. Um, So guys that see Triple H as a peer and not a boss, as a leader... Uh, aren't going to respect him in the same way. You know, they didn't come up under the NXT Papa H camp, like basically everybody on the roster now. They came up working with Triple H as a peer, like on the same roster. And and I just don't know that they're going to want to necessarily do what Triple H tells them to do or get along very well. So all of this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Punk is going to come back to AEW? Do you think he's going to go to WWE or maybe even end up in New Japan for a quick run? What is the fate of CM Punk? Does he just ride off into the sunset, do movies again, and just go suck a fox somewhere and just be off of wrestling forever? Who knows? Uh, again, it's incredibly sad if this is the end of CM Punk's career. I'm not going to lie about that. I, I want him to redeem himself. I want him to come back from this. I want to see the comeback story. And I want to see people be, I want to see, uh, like with Shawn Michaels, everybody's like, yeah, he was a giant prick before, but you know what? Not so bad now. Um, but I, I think, you know, for all his time away from WWE and he came back and he was just as big of a prick as ever, I don't know that he'll ever change. And that's, that's sad. The Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, was on the Impulsive podcast with Logan Paul this week. This fresh off of their training session, we should have all seen the photos by now online of Shawn Michaels working in the ring with Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Paul down at NXT, brushing up on his skills for his big match with Roman Reigns. And uh, while they were there, they filmed a podcast. This actually took place inside of the NXT ring. Um, And it was a wonderful interview. This was a very, again, like I, I talked about before with Impulsive, with the guys over there, that they're very like, they're like bros. You know what I mean? They're very uh, like hanging out with a room full of dudes, you know, like put a wrestler in with like a bunch of college kids. And like ask, have them ask questions. You know what I mean. So they're gonna be like, "Dude, remember that time where you like, you know?" Uh, it wasn't quite like that, but it was a lot like that. But it was a fun interview. You know what I mean? Uh, Sean was very open and uh, very willing to just kind of bare his soul on impulsive. And he talked about <clears throat> going back to you know the the frat bros you know asking silly questions you know they're like oh the drugs dude you know they're kind of asking michaels about his time as a as a drug user and that sort of thing and he was very open to talking about it and in this particular clip here sean michaels opens up about what that transition was you know we all heard he was the the junkied out asshole prick backstage Went away for a couple years. All of a sudden, he comes back. He's clean. He's sober. And he found Jesus. How did all this happen? Check out this clip. You know, one of the things you know used to be in this line of work was you're supposed to be able to 
you know, one of the badges of sort of honor was, you know, you'd be able to party all night, you know, and then absolutely get up the next day and go to the town and, you know, wrestle for an hour and be able to do it again time after time, you know, and then, you know, whatever, you know, you know, drink and take a couple of these to, and, and be just be able and to be able to go and to function. That's corner, sort of what, you know, was the cornerstone of a man in, in, in our business at one time. Um, and I was, you know, I was young and naive enough to buy into it. You know, and again, then people are, you know, not until you realize that people are starting to, you know, pass away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Let's yep. go like, yep. wow, this is serious. It's kind of stupid. What was your, yeah. what was your moment? What was your like? Honestly, rock uh, I can remember again, getting married and then immediately we're getting, you know, we find out we're having a baby and all right, nine months, you got to get it together. And he comes and, you know, nine months later, Still not there. The thing that ended up doing it is one day I'm half out of it, and he's I think he's just two going on two and a half, but he's now but he's he he could see that I was sort of out of it, and he said, "Oh, Daddy's getting tired," and it just that's the first time I noticed that like oh my God, he can now he's beginning to sense it. And it, that it, and again, you know, you know, your, your podcast probably supposed to be a, a heck of a lot cooler, but it, it, I mean, it broke my heart. You know, what I mean, it's it's the first time that I realized this little guy was he was only going to look to one person to show him how to be a man, and it was going to be me. And I was in that moment, I was, you know, screwing it up. Yeah, that's a really good reason to snap out of it is when you notice that your kids are starting to notice that you're a fuck up. Once that happens, it's like, bro, are you going to just be a fuck up forever? Or is that going to be enough to be like, all right, I got to get my shit together. And Sean took that and he said he quit cold turkey. There was no withdrawals, no shakes, no nothing. He didn't have to wean himself off and just you know lower it in increments. He just stopped. I'm just done with this shit. Done. Um, he was very open about all this. You know, it was funny. They, they made a joke about the PR, WWE's PR guy. You know, they have PR guys that AEW does too. I'm sure most people do, in fact. You know what I mean? Like anybody that works for a big company anyway, have PR guys that sit in on the interviews and they're just there to make sure, you know, the wrong thing doesn't get said, basically. You know, they're there to just kind of monitor it and make sure that it's a good, clean, fun interview without anything too too uh you know something that's gonna hurt the company's look a little bit and you know they were delving into that territory a little bit with Shawn michaels being an executive now he's like the executive vice president of talent development or some shit like that i don't fucking know um <laughs> just a big fancy title for a dude with a crooked eye and a cowboy hat basically and but yeah, he was very open about that, you know, talking about his entire uh the, the entire run with drugs and how, you know, he he felt uh indebted to Sh- Triple H because Triple H has saved his life a number of times. Triple H was basically his caregiver in the 90s. You know, Michaels walked around a complete egomaniac, fucked up out of his mind, and he talked about how Triple H stood by him every step of the way. Triple H was right behind him when Michaels was picking fights that he had no business picking, when he was pissing people off and burning bridges and and just being the biggest dick face on the planet. Triple H was right there behind him and made everybody else look at Triple H as the the second biggest dick face on the planet. 
And he, you know, Michael's acknowledged, like, he stood by me, even if he didn't agree with me, even if he thought I was being a dumbass uh, and doing something stupid, he was going to go there and be a dumbass and do something stupid with him because he's ride or die, they talked about, you know. Um, <clears throat> so he said, like, falling into the NXT, you know, being an executive there is, like, not something he wanted to do necessarily at first. He loves it now, but, like just you know he felt indebted to triple h like how do you not do anything that he asks when he did all that for you you know he was always there for you um really good stuff there he talks about why he doesn't go to church much anymore he says he doesn't go to church but he is still religious uh you know he's more spiritual on the inside now because he talks about that uh he ran into a lot of issues with people at church not being able to separate his character on TV from who he really is as a person. You know, they're still uh, dealing with, <laughs> and this is something that wrestling will probably always have to deal with, right, is the fact that people don't see wrestlers as actors. People see wrestlers as them. So Shawn Michaels was running into pe people uh, at his church that were like, why are you here being a Jesus guy? You know, a big Jesus freak, religious fucking churchgoer. And then, you know, you go on TV and you, you tell people to suck it and, and, and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It doesn't jive. And, um, you know, so he just stopped going to church. He didn't want to deal with that anymore because you can only explain yourself so many times. You know, people don't understand. So is what it is, right? You know, I don't blame him for that. And that's why, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, he's not really religious or, you know, it's just an act or whatever. Well, you know, that's, the, there's your reasoning. He just doesn't participate in it anymore because church people, uh, they, you know, they can tend to be pretty uh, judgy. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know that your church community is going to be accepting of you going on TV and telling people to suck it, you know? <laughs> they should be. Why not? Go up. The pastor should be like, we got Shawn Michaels in the house. Suck it. Everybody suck it. Suck it for Jesus. Okay, that was bad. I just, that was a step too far, and I apologize. <laughs> I don't, don't send me to hell. I apologize. <clears throat> but suck it for Jesus. Um, but yeah, this was a fantastic interview with, uh, Shawn Michaels, very open. I, you know, like the impulsive guy to me, those interviews are always, it's like just hanging out with a couple of bros, right? Again, you know, like I said, they're not genius interviewers, you know, it's, it's Logan Paul and then it's like his two best friends or whatever. I don't even remember what, their names. One of them looks exactly like X-Pac though. That had to be tripping Shawn Michaels out a lot. And, you know, he's had to be looking at him with his crooked eye and just kind of that Sean. Um, so they're not going to get like it's not going to be like an Ariel Helwani interview. You know, that was a much different interview with Sean, but uh, still a lot of good shit. And this was particularly interesting. So I wanted to share it with you. But what do you think? Let me know down in the comments if you're watching on YouTube and on to the next clip. C.J. Perry, the former Lana with WWE and Miro's hot, flexible wife, was on the Busted Open podcast or Busted Open Radio with Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray. And they were talking about her upcoming project with The Surreal Life. She's on, a, on the 
return of the surreal life with all the ex-celebrities or whatever, the washed-up celebrities, and they cram them all into a house and make them live together. I love that shit. It'll be fun. It's a giant train wreck waiting to happen. Um, but it was in this conversation here that CJ was talking with Bully Ray, and Bully asked Lana straight up, how come Miro's not being used as much as he should be on AEW TV? And her response was quite interesting. Check out this clip. How is he enjoying his time in AEW? Um, I mean, he wants to be champion, so he's not going to be happy until he's champion. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. So, and rightfully so. I mean, he he always goes, if I got in a real fight with these people, I would destroy them and crush them. And that is very valid. So, yes. uh, <laughs> period. Well, one of the things that I've been critical on on this show is I don't think they use Miro nearly as much as they should be using him. And his character is so believable, so credible. He's such an accomplished worker. He's got fantastic psychology. Why do you yeah. think um, somebody with as much talent as your husband is used as sporadically as he is? Oh, God, we're, gosh, I have a lot of opinions about this. I definitely... He, you know, Tony Khan has a vision at the end of the day, like, let's just really, you know, if it's 100% real, I think there's this illusion at AEW that the talent booked the show, you know, the talent basically, you know, that was, that was definitely like the conversation, like, oh, you go there, you're going to basically become whatever you're made of. But at the end of the day, he's booking the show. It's really no different than WWE. It's just a different director and a different person's point of view. It's like comparing NBC to HBO. And but at the end of the end of the day, you still have the exec who's going to make that final call. And that's what it is. Like Tony Khan has he has his favorites and he's going to push the favorites, just like Vince would push his favorites, just like Hunter's going to push his people. And it's show business. It's nothing personal, it just is what it is. And I don't know. I think my husband's incredible. Um, I feel Vince really valued him in that way and saw that um, they hit heads a lot of times towards the end on creative differences. Vince really wanted him as a villain and Miro wanted to explore this new world. Um, again, I just take it like I do Hollywood, like it's casting, it's the director, it's the showrunner. And at the end of the day, we're hired talent. So you know, if you really don't like the person that you're working for, then go start your own wrestling promotion. See how that goes for you. That was very interesting. She was hesitant in the interview to say that she would want to go work for AEW. You know, uh, she was asked, uh, I think, by LaGreca before this question, you know, uh, do you have any interest in going to work with AEW? You know, what's the, you know, the difference between AEW and WWE? You know, it's a different place to work. Would you be interested in going there? And she kind of tiptoed around it a little bit. And then uh, when Bully asked this question, I mean, Lana, she seemed like she was apprehensive to fully answer at first. And she's just like, look, <laughs> Tony's Tony's the boss over there. He's got his favorites, and if he, you know, he's gonna push them guys. I don't know why Miro's not one of his favorites. I this is uh, this is uh, what 
frustrates me so much about AEW, and this is one of those things that is making me lose faith in Tony Khan. I mean, I, I'm pretty much there. You know what I mean? I was a, a very solid AEW guy for a long time, but I'm getting to the point or have gotten to the point now where I've just lost faith in Tony Khan because he's... I, I don't think he's he's not the booker that he thinks that he is or that he puts himself out there to be. Um, you know, he's had glimpses of some really great booking, but just the way that he uses people is is absurd. You know what I mean? Like FTR, like now it looks like the FTR is probably going to start to come around to, you know, they got that number one contenders match. I think they're going to get put in the rotation now. But I think it's almost too late. Like, they were hot three months ago, you know, when they were coming off their feud with the Briscoes and they won the Ring of Honor titles. That was the time to push them towards... I, really, it should have been... What you should have done was built to the tag team fucking, you know, the rubber match for winner takes all against the Young Bucks at All Out. That's what you should have did. And, and, you know, we don't know for sure, but apparently, you know, the Young Bucks played their politics, didn't want to work with FTR, didn't want to lose to FTR, and they just wanted to go do their little trios bullshit instead. And yes, Swerve in Our Glory and the Acclaimed had a great match, and, you know, all of that's fine, but uh, we all know that those belts belong to FTR, and it, that was their moment. That was their time. That should have. That's when that should have happened, um, and it just... It's a sign of shitty booking. And even, you know, the Young Bucks playing politics shouldn't have meant anything. Because Tony Khan, at the end of the day, is the boss. Fuck you guys. This is the direction we're going to go because this makes the most sense. A good wrestling product will write itself, right? The storylines, they present themselves naturally based on where the talent's positioned and everything like FTR is getting over. You push them towards the tag team titles. It's and and they already had their history with the Bucks. Like it's, it, it's you know, easy. This is easy shit. But the fact that he didn't go there shows that he's not that great of a booker. And to bring it back around to Miro, how are you going to have a guy like Miro on your roster and not fucking? He's not even on TV, let alone pushed in the main events. This guy would be maybe still just a dominant TNT champion. I don't know about still, but, you know, he'd be the T predominant TNT champion. Um, or if not, working in the main events already. Like, is Miro a difficult person to work with backstage? We haven't heard this necessarily. He seems like a pretty chill guy, to be honest with you. Um, he's talented as all fuck and he's over as all fuck. So why on earth would you not be pushing him or even have him on TV? Does he not, do the young bucks not like him? Kenny Omega doesn't like him. Is that it? Chris Jericho doesn't like him for some reason. I can't imagine that Miro was on Jericho's podcast. Uh, Miracle Miro talks fondly of Chris CJ was on Jericho's podcast. So I don't think he's holding Miro down. Um, <clears throat> Does Tony just not like Miro? Did he rub him the wrong way? Did, did Miro flex on him or something? And Tony afraid Miro's going to beat him up over a contract? Like, what? Seriously, what? Why would you not? There has to be a good reason, because Miro's not even on TV. And he's not injured. It's it's dumb. 
and just, oh, we're going to throw them in t- in this token angle with the House of Black. None of that made sense other than just getting the opportunity to tag team with Sting, which is always a bucket list thing, and I'd be all for it if I was Miro. But then what do you got for me? Come on, let's go. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a guy that would be looking to jump back to WWE. That was the rumor before. Um, but then, you know, it kind of came out that Miro was, no, he's pretty solidly AEW still. But Lana seems to paint a different picture. She doesn't, she tried to tiptoe around it, but she was very much, uh, you know, made it sound like there's more to this than meets the eye. Not that there's necessarily like heat or a beef or a big story here, just that AEW is not necessarily what it's cracked up to be. And that um, Miro not being used is because he's not on Tony Khan's favorite toys to play with list. It happens. We all had our fig feds when we were kids, right? We had our fig feds. I had a couple figures that, um, you know, I mixed the Hasbro WWE guys in with the, um, they had WCW at the time had, I think Galoob made them, but I'm not sure. But they had like the really hard rock hard ones. And I, I mixed them in, and they worked fine, even though they didn't move, really. I was able to work with them. Um, but there were a couple guys that were very difficult to work with. Like, I think there was one that had, like, a headlock feature. And it's like his arm was, like, permanently. Like, Ron Simmons. That was It was Ron Simmons. He was shaped like this the whole time. And it's like, how do you, how do you have a professional wrestling match when he's, he doesn't, what are you supposed to do with this? You know what I mean? Like a shoulder tackle? Like I So I didn't play with him all that much. It wasn't a racist thing, okay? I didn't not play with him just because he was a black action figure. You fucks. <laughs> His arm was like this. Like, I what are you what are you supposed to do with that? You can't you can't do anything with that. So uh maybe Miro is a oddly shaped figure for Tony Khan, and it's just so he doesn't get played with as much for some reason. I, I don't know, man. Miro would be a top guy in my federation. A top, top guy. I don't know that he would be the guy. He wouldn't be like my champion. But he's in that mix always. You know, he's he's up there for sure. But at the end of the day, it's Tony Khan's company and he can do what he wants. I just think it's depressing, especially because... Look, man, you went out and hired uh, Jim Cornette just did a podcast where he went through the entire AEW roster. And there's like 767 people on that roster. Like You're not even using half of those guys. What are you doing? And like some of them are big, big stars that he's not using like Miro. It's just it's unthinkable. This guy could be saving himself tons of money on his roster. I don't know if he's just tying people up so WWE doesn't get him, but he could literally cut half of his roster and still fill out both of his shows and the fucking dark tapings and stuff with ease. And he's got all those people that he doesn't use, and he still brings in people from the indies. He just fucking signed Juice Robinson and Bandito. You got now he's got seven hundred and sixty nine people on his roster. Why? Nothing against Juice or Bandito. They're great. They're fine. They're, I appreciate them. Um, and maybe he's expecting. Well, we got all this punk money that we're not going to be paying out pretty soon. 
Um, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's, it's really a, a shake your head situation. Like how you have a guy like Miro on your roster and you don't use him to his full potential. You don't use most of your guys to their full potential. It's an absolute joke over there. Uh, it's making me lose complete faith in AEW's booking. He needs a booker. He needs to bring in a booker. He can be the owner and he can be the final say, <clears throat> You know, he can be in them, them booking meetings and he can say no, but he doesn't need to be the guy like creating stories and deciding everything. And fuck, even then, you know, him being the, the where the buck stops here. If he just doesn't like Miro, he's just not going to use Miro. But it's a shame because that guy, I, I feel like he's so immensely talented. He never lived up to his full potential in WWE. He was used poorly by Vince. And then he went over to AEW hoping that would change. And now he's being used poorly by Tony. And it's ugh, he's wasting the best years of his career doing jack all shit. Well, Eric Bischoff has never been shy taking his shots at Tony Khan every chance that he gets. Well, Tony Khan finally clapped back. He was on the Busted Open radio show this week. And he was talking about the upcoming Dynamite, as he always does. He does the Tony Time gimmick every week on uh, Busted Open, hyping up the show. And he got lost on a tangent, ranting about how not every match needs a storyline, which I actually agree with. Sometimes guys just fight, you know. Sometimes it's a ranking, you know. Just I want to, you know, move up the rankings, so I got to move past this guy. Sometimes it's like, hey, I just want to fight this guy. We're just going to have a fight. Sometimes it's the number one contender situation. It does not always have to be, as he said, hey, you, you spilled coffee on me back in catering, so now I'm going to kick your ass. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be a story, which is one of the things that, you know, a lot, well, a lot of people hound on. And they, to, to, AEW is not the best at storytelling. They do tell stories, but not to the extent of like a WWE. But that's what Tony's trying to push back on. And then he just called out Eric Bischoff about it. You know how Eric Bischoff is one of the people that complain most about this. And, and that's fucking ironic that he does because he used to do it too. Check out this clip. Oh, there's a lot of really interesting stories happening in AEW. And there's this fascinating thing happening. I've noticed that things have changed a lot in the perception of how a wrestling card is built over the years. And now there's this perception, I think, just because this is the way that people have seen it done for most of the last 20 years. So I understand that it's become, uh, to some extent, an industry standard, if only for lack of competition. And there's this perception that like every match on every show should have a long storyline build to why it takes place. Well, and it's just doesn't necessarily need to be the case for every single match. I think that there's uh, absolutely a lot of story in most of the matches on this show and most matches on a lot of our shows. But sometimes you can see something that's the start of a new issue. Frankly, the person who I think has been the most incendiary and contradictory and hypocritical on this entire point is Eric Bischoff, who, if you watch Nitros in the, especially the good nitros from like you know 95 to 98 a lot of the quality of the show was seeing lucha matches and things that you didn't expect and there was a certain exquisite randomness to the lineup of the card you know you'd turn the show on and it would be like oh hey rick martell against perry saturn that's pretty cool 
or, oh, hey, it's Randy Savage against Bobby Eaton. Okay. Uh, you know, and uh, various Lucha matches that didn't necessarily have buildup, but were fun matches. You know, they weren't the big story matches. Sure, there were a lot of stories happening in WCW, but probably less than half the matches on Nitro had a story going into them. And that was fine. And it was the industry standard show. Then it really tried to copy its competition and put lots of story where every single match had to have two guys having a fight over a cup of coffee and catering. And that just doesn't need to be the case. And sometimes it could just be as simple as a challenge or two people fighting to be the best. But, you know, the majority of the time, or certainly a large percentage of the time, you should have a lot of story built into a match. But, you know, this perception that you can't just have two people come in and fight, it could be the start of something. It could lead to something with two completely different people. Who knows? But uh, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And in this case, to see the person who probably put more cold matches on TV and did it successfully and did it well, say that, like, it's an abomination to do it, it's pretty contradictory, so I found it really ironic when I hear Eric Bischoff talk about, like, why is this match happening, you know? Is it just me, or is Tony Khan cracking? Because it seems like every interview he does now, he's he's crabbier, or he's just not opening up about anything, or he's more defensive about stuff. Tony has lost all chill. Remember when AEW first started and Tony had his hair was shorter and kind of combed and he had the glasses and stuff. And now when you see him, he's just, he looks like he's all been on a week long Coke bender and shit. And, and nobody's ever able to talk to this guy. You know, he's always so busy. He's got seven different jobs. He's just, I think Tony Khan is cracking. I think he's overwhelmed. I think he's going to, he's heading straight for a breaking point. I feel like, and I feel like he doesn't have, his ego won't let him uh, admit it or or thinks that he can handle it or work through it or push past it. Um, he won't let anybody touch his product at all. You know what I mean? He has to be in control of everything. I think the dude's cracking. I think he's losing his shit. Um, now, he's right in the, in the fact that not every match needs a storyline. I actually like the random ass matches. And he, he mentioned, uh, he brought up an example from WCW. Uh, you know, there was like a, a, you know, a Mike Enos was in a ring with like the macho man just randomly or something like that. You know what I mean? And it just makes for a good TV match. There's nothing wrong with those kind of matches. Chris Jericho versus Bandito randomly. Why not? Well, that's part of a storyline, the Ring of Honor storyline. But you get what I'm saying. You just, sometimes it's fine to just, this guy's going to face this guy today. We got a roster. I'm a matchmaker. You know, when you look at it from a sports like, we are a wrestling company, right? So if you're starting a wrestling company, do you, if you're the promoter, if you're the booker, even if this was real, like UFC, for example, there's matchmakers. There's no like, okay, we, we wait for people to have stories. You know, we don't wait for people to bump into each other back in the locker room and fucking look at each other funny on camera, you know, and, and so we, we got a problem, huh? You settle it in the ring? doesn't always need to play out that way. Now, the best stories, uh, the, the stories in wrestling are what make the biggest, most memorable moments in wrestling, the biggest 
feuds, you know. Uh, arguably the best story AEW ever told was obviously the biggest angle they've ever had, uh, in my opinion, but in most people's opinions, was the CM Punk versus MJF angle, um, which would have concluded, which would, you know, would be going on right now if Punk was still around, you know, because he'd be looking to drop that title to MJF instead of Moxley carrying the title right now to drop it to MJF. Um, <clears throat> so storylines... The best things, the best moments in wrestling, the best angles, the best matches all have well-told stories, but they don't all need to have stories, and especially when you're running a week-to-week show and you don't have job guys that are just, you know, you know you're not doing a fucking enhancement matches the whole time, so you pair up a, a Penta versus Moxley. Why not? Who cares? It'll be a good match. It doesn't matter if they've had a beef for three weeks leading up to it. Um, so I get both sides. You need the story in these things, but you don't need it in everything, which is the fact that Tony Khan and look, Bischoff has been a dick. Bischoff goes out of his way. He's got a hair up his ass about Tony Khan and he just will not pluck that shit out. He won't let it go. He's just going hard every chance he gets. And he'll probably clap back at Tony Khan about this one, too. We're covering it next week. Another fucking rant. And look, I avoid these. Bischoff says them every week. I cover them from time to time. I've covered them. But I've done like three stories on Bischoff talking shit about Tony Khan. It becomes old news because he does it every week. Um, But rarely have we heard Tony Khan kind of clap back and... This is coming from a guy who had a lot of respect for Eric Bischoff, too, and even brought Bischoff in. Bischoff appeared twice on AEW TV. Uh, Tony Khan had every uh, intention of making Bischoff kind of a regular legend on the show. You know, this seemed to be the direction he was going, and Bischoff just hates Tony Khan. He, he doesn't like him at all. Um, but, yeah, Bischoff used to throw a lot of shitty matches out there just for the fact just to have him you know what i mean yeah not all of his stuff had stories and and so bischoff I, I get where tony's coming from but i think the bigger story here in my opinion is that tony khan's just starting to crack i think he's letting things get to him more than he used to and you know it was a little bit of an unwarranted rant that he went on there you know, to just start ranting about how not every match needs a story and then to specifically name drop Eric Bischoff like that. It just sounds like things are starting to get to him. You know, he's not Joe Cool anymore. Uh, not that he ever was, but I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff. Look, you don't need to sell it every time Bischoff talks shit. You know what I mean? You just ignore that. You're running a wrestling company. People are going to talk shit about you. People are going to criticize your booking no matter what you do. Every step, even in the best angles. There are people that criticize MJF versus Punk. You know, there's things that they could have did different or they never should have did it at all. Some people might even say. You know what I mean? Probably not. But you get what I'm saying. Like, there's always going to be something to criticize. So you just have to push that shit out and run your company. But. I think between this and and just the bad booking and like the Miro story I was talking about. And look, I might sound like I'm kind of a AEW hater at this point. And if you go back in my archives, you will see I was a giant AEW fanboy. All right. But I have to call it like I see it. I can't just play favorites. I can't. You know what I mean? Like I can't do this show look you in the eye and say, oh, yeah, AEW is the best company. They're just they're losing it right now. They're slipping. 
And uh, at this point, I think if they don't make major changes there, I think um, they're not long for this world. They're going to get a new contract. They're going to get a new deal. And uh, they're going to have another several, however long that contract runs. They're, you know, they're going to be around for a little bit longer, you know. Um, but I just, Tony Khan cannot maintain the current status quo. Something needs to change. He needs help to turn this ship around before it completely sinks. This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, Podcast. Vince McMahon announces his retirement from WWE. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. We got some shit to talk about this week, huh? I was actually going to take this week off. It's my kid's birthday. Uh, we were going to be celebrating this weekend. We still are, uh, but I wanted to take, you know, the whole weekend off so I wasn't sitting around doing a bunch of editing. You know, I could spend more time with him. Uh, and it was a slow week, you know? What was I going to fucking talk about here? Kurt Connor, Clark Connors, whatever the fuck his name is on the Jericho podcast. The cowboy dude from New Japan with the hat. Huh? Mr. Anderson was on uh, Insight this week talking about shit from 15 years ago. Huh? Was I going to talk about that? It was a slow week. What do you want me to do? It was a perfect week to take off and then... We got this news here that Vince McMahon has announced his retirement from the WWE. Um, I got to tell you, this was pretty surprising, even with all the bullshit that was going on. Um, I just, I never thought that I would see the day that Vince is retiring from the WWE. Uh, Vince has been around my entire life in professional wrestling. As far back as I could remember, Vince was on my TV uh, as a commentator and then, you know, the chairman and all that shit. I honestly, honestly never thought I'd see the day that he stepped down. Uh, I'm surprised. Like I said, even with all the shit that's going on right now, the scandals, the accusations, the leaks that are coming out, the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, news drop, all of this shit, I still thought that Vince would just sit in his chair, stubborn as all hell, even as he temporarily stepped down from chairman and CEO, he still was maintaining his role as head of creative, he was still the guy basically overseeing everything that was going on in the WWE, and we all kind of thought that Stephanie being put in place as temporary interim CEO it was just kind of a of a of a wink and a nod, like okay, yeah, sure, right. Uh, it was all it was all a show, you know. Vince would still be running things behind the scenes, but apparently not. Um, it broke today. We had this news drop from Vince McMahon. Let's go ahead and I'm gonna pull up and read the exact quote here. As I approach 77 years old, I feel it's time for me to retire as chairman and CEO of WWE. 
Throughout the years, it's been a privilege to help WWE bring you joy, inspire you, thrill you, surprise you, and always entertain you. I would like to thank my family for mightily, that's quite the word, hey, mightily, is that, is that a word? Mightily contributing to our success, and I would also like to thank all of our past and present superstars and employees, especially the ones who sucked my dick, for their dedication and passion for our brand. Most importantly, I would like to thank our fans for allowing us into your homes every week and being your choice of entertainment. I hold the deepest appreciation and admiration for our generations of fans all over the world. Hey, that's us, me and you. Of the fans all over the world who have liked, currently like, and sometimes even love our form of sports entertainment. Sometimes. Every once in a while. Our global audience can take comfort in knowing WWE will continue to entertain you with the same fervor. That's another good word, fervor. Dedication and passion as always. I am extremely confident in our continued success of WWE, and I leave our company in the capable hands of an extraordinary group of superstars, employees, and executives, in particular both chairwoman and co-CEO Stephanie McMahon, and employees and executives in particular, both, uh, oop, I already read that, co-CEO Stephanie McMahon and co-CEO Nick Khan. So there's a little bit of news going there. As the majority shareholder, I will continue to support WWE in any way I can. My personal thanks to our community and business partners, shareholders, and board of directors for the guidance and support through the years. Then, now, forever, together. Vince McMahon. God damn it! Wow. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. So, uh, like I said, I didn't have a show prepared this week. I was going to take it off. It was a very slow week, so there really isn't anything else to talk about anyway. So, what I thought I would do here with this is just really go into like a deep dive on this entire thing here. Um, so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of cover... We'll start by going over the current situation. I want to get into a little bit of history of Vince McMahon, his contributions and detriments to the business. And then I want to kind of look ahead and see what the future might look like without Vince McMahon. I guess the first big thing is that little nugget that was in there. Co-CEO Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan. So no longer is Stephanie McMahon the interim CEO of WWE. She is now co-CEO. Can't say I saw that coming. I would have thought she would have been the full CEO. And then Nick Khan would have just been like her right-hand man handling a lot of the business stuff. But he is taking on the role of CEO of the WWE. So Vince McMahon's role has been split into two between Stephanie McMahon and Nick Khan. I, th I believe Nick will handle all the business side of things. And Stephanie is going to be kind of the figurehead of the company. She's going to be the McMahon. She's going to be the female, which, you know, with all the allegations and everything, it's probably a good idea that there's a female for a little while so that the company doesn't retain that image. And uh, she'll probably be more in control of, like, the wrestling side of the things, you know, what's actually on TV and that sort of thing, um, creative uh, they have not named a head of creative yet. My hunch is that it will be Triple H, who has been named the head of talent relations. 
So he's taken over for John Laurinaitis. Laurinaitis is out the door. And uh, I, there are some rumors that Paul Heyman might be tapped to do the uh, to be the head of creative. That I would also love to see. That um, he's he's a great. He would be a great pick for that role. I also like Triple H for it. Either one of them would do a fantastic job as head of creative. Much better than Vince has been doing. I'm pretty sure the the guy the the doorman. Or the janitor of the building could probably do a better job of creative than Vince McMahon has. And, you know, Vince has quite the legacy and he's built a, a long history of very creative shit. You know, he is an evil genius. There's no doubt about that. His history and career speak for itself. Um, but he's also, you know, as of late, over the last, what, five, ten years kind of uh, been very hit or miss. He's the guy that likes to rewrite the show five minutes before it goes on the air, that kind of stuff. Everything's on a whim. Everything, you know, He randomly changes his mind. He's got all these stupid ideas. This is potentially a big game changer because we kind of thought as Vince was stepping down that it was just sort of a figurehead thing, right? And that he would still kind of be running things behind the scenes, but this... Seems to be pretty apparent that he's not going to be in charge of anything anymore. That he is stepping down. Excuse me. Burping up that, uh, that birthday dinner. Um, <clears throat> I like the idea of Stephanie being in charge. I think she's going to do great. Uh, apparently, she's very well liked backstage. Uh, she, she's friendly with the talent. She's been around the business for... You know, as long as I've been alive, as long as she's been alive, ever since a little kid, she's been in the locker rooms. She's worked every job within the company you can think of, you know. She's had had all these different roles within the company. She's seen it from all sides. And I really think she's going to bring a lot to that role. Nick Khan's going to bring a lot to that role. He's clearly a very savvy businessman, very smart very well suited to do the business end of the thing, to be negotiating deals and all that. He's the one behind getting WWE Network on Peacock, doing that whole thing. Uh, he's also the guy that's been behind all the crazy cuts and everything like that. This could be uh, where these rumors, this TV-14 thing, at first it came out. You know, With last week's episode, I talked about that WWE announced that Raw's going PG-14 or TV-14. But apparently that's not the case. This is just something that they've been kind of kicking around. That This is an idea. And maybe that was kind of leaked or they jumped the gun on that. Because this is something that they plan to do. They plan to move to TV 14. But they wanted to wait till Vince was going to make his move. Because apparently Vince had uh, internally told people that he was going to be leaving and stepping down. As of you know, about a week ago, he made the decision to do this. And just as of today is making it official. A lot of mixed feelings on this. Uh, Stephanie McMahon actually came out on SmackDown earlier tonight as I record this. And led the crowd in a big thank you Vince chant. Uh, go ahead and check out that clip here by the way. This is the WWE Universe. And we are eternally grateful for all of you. But since Vince had the opportunity to thank us, I think this is the moment that we take to thank him. 
So now we're gonna do it together, right? Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince. Yeah, very mixed feelings on this because on one hand, it seems a little weird to be thank youing Vince uh, it, when he's facing all these charges of forcing girls to give him blowjobs to keep their jobs and that kind of thing. But we've all kind of known this with Vince. Uh, we want to take the good and take the bad. Take them both, and there you have the facts of Vince. The facts of Vince. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Uh, <laughs> Vince is, is uh, I mean, it's sad to see him go. I love Vince. I do. I think if you are a wrestling fan or have been any time in the last 20, 30 years, you have to at least have respect for Vince. Even if you're one of those trolls that are online saying, oh, fuck Vince, it's time to step down. He's a dirty old man, blah, blah, blah. All of that may be true, but I do think that you're, you're probably still got that little bit of respect for him at the end of the day. And rightfully so, because he's accomplished so much. He changed the wrestling business. He took, and we've all heard it a million times in all these documentaries, so I'll spare you the play-by-play -play here. But, you know, he took wrestling from the territory system to a worldwide, global, iconic entity. You know, WWE is synonymous with pro wrestling. People don't say wrestling hardly anymore. They said they certainly don't say sports entertainment. He never got that one over. As hard as he tried, he never got that one over. Nobody ever said, hey, let's go to the sports entertainment show tonight. Or, hey, let's watch some sports entertainment tonight. But what he did do is he got WWE over the brand. You know, people will some always uh, re refer to wrestling as WWE, that WWE shit, whether it's WWE or not. Uh, people that don't watch wrestling refer to it as that WWE stuff. You know, even my kids, and I'll be sitting down watching an AEW show, and my kids will be like, oh, what are you doing, Dad, watching WWE? Uh, no, I'm actually watching AEW. There's a difference. Get it fucking right. Get it right! Or go to your room, god damn it. But uh yeah, it's it's he's really put WWE on the map. He's built megastars from Hulk Hogan. You know, right from the very start when he took over from his dad, it did not take him long. His first big move was to take the belt off of Backland and put it on the Hulk. You know, he transitioned the belt to the Iron Sheik and then had the Sheik drop the belt to Hogan and we were off and running with Hulkamania in the 80s, and goddamn, if it didn't take him long at all to make WWF at the time a household name, you know, he gambled everything with the first WrestleMania and really had that idea to, to merge wrestling with MTV and that whole culture and the rock stars and the, the pomp and circumstance and the pageantry. And he really got that, you know. He took it from the dark and dingy, smoke-filled arenas. And you hear that all the time, but it's true. You know, the territory wrestling system was the, just this dirty, dark, dingy, smoky, uh, almost like an underground fight club thing. I mean, wrestling was always popular, but it was popular regionally. 
And he was the first guy to kind of step in and throw his balls on the table and make plays to scoop up all the top talent from all the top territories, whether he was able to negotiate them away with the promotion or uh, buy the wrestlers outright <clears throat> or buy the promotions outright, you know, uh, step by step, move by move, he he collected all the top talent from around the country and, and he shut down all the top, not even all the top, he shut down every territory. He put an end to the territory system. I made it to about the mid-90s at best and then, and then that was it. It was done. So Vince will forever be known for changing the wrestling business and some will say that that's for the worse. A lot of people like the old territory system and thought that that's the way that wrestling should still be done. I don't subscribe to that. I think the move to a national mainstream platform was the best way to go. I like the way that he went about it. Uh, shady, if, if you must, sometimes. But he was able to see all the top talent from the around the world and see a way to bring them in and work with them and build his new promotion around them. You know, the WWF was not a new promotion, but what he turned it into in the 80s, basically, you know, it was a whole fresh take on the professional wrestling industry. And he ruled through the 80s with an iron fist. And the territories tried, and there was, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA, and they did their best to compete, but they just couldn't. They they couldn't on any level. They weren't the you know Vince saw things in wrestling that nobody else had even thought about before. <clears throat> and even after he was doing them, a lot of those promoters stubbornly balked at it. Thought it was you know like oh that's not wrestling, that's a clown show up there, and just refused to evolve and change or compete. Or, or living in denial, thinking that the way that they were doing it was still the best way to present wrestling. And, you know, like the action figures and the merchandise and the movie stars and the musicians and the, the whole Hollywood thing and the big spectacle and the production value and, and doing things like fucking rock and roll albums and stuff. You know, the pile driver doing music videos. Like, everything that Vince did, a no-holds-barred. Everything that Vince did in the 80s to, to move professional wrestling into a mainstream entertainment brand was nothing short of genius. Nothing short of genius. You know, even if you are one of those stubborn old territory fools, you have to admit that what he did worked. He changed the business forever in the 80s. Uh, by the early 90s, that whole cartoony shtick that he was going for was kind of wrestling was in a down period uh, especially after the steroid trial because now a lot of the guys it, it couldn't be the the big buff roided out muscle dummies anymore it had to be uh, a different type of product you know when Hogan was gone a lot of the bigger stars were gone and he, he was stuck trying to rebuild a promotion with Lesser-known talent, smaller talent. He had to rebuild, and he did that whole new generation thing. And that's when WCW came along and smartly scooped up a lot of those guys that Vince let go or that left WWE at that time. 
and business didn't pick up again until uh until the late 90s you know about 97 98 in particular is when wrestling started to take off again in the attitude era no thanks to the nwo and ecw and vince was able to I think he kind of drug his feet for a little bit, and he was kind of behind the times, and he was kind of lost in the shuffle, but it took starting to lose to WCW and their more adult-oriented, reality-oriented wrestling. You know, WCW wasn't exactly, like, edgy. I would still consider it a somewhat PG product, but it had... You know, they were using wrestlers' real names, and they weren't really doing stupid gimmicks, and they were presenting it more of a realistic style. And uh, that, in that, mixed with the popularity of ECW and everything they were doing with all their edgy stuff, uh, kind of pushed Vince in a direction to change and go with the attitude, go with the TV 14, to go with the edgy product. And again, he changed with the times. And it didn't hurt that he had the greatest roster in the history of professional wrestling. And he was able to morph that new generation wrestling slump into a whole new boom period with the Attitude Era. And again, Vince was an absolute genius for what he was able to accomplish at that time. And none of this was without their scandals. There was the... Uh, the referee chick that he was screwing around with and then there was the steroid scandal things like that wrestling had a bad reputation for a little while in there but i think by the time the attitude era came around they were able to kind of sweep all that under a rug just because it was so hot and it was a it was a a sign of the times, the whole era, it wasn't just wrestling, but everything was edgy. This was your South Park era. This was your, um, this is where you had like your, your new metal bands like Corn, and you had your Marilyn Mansons with the boobies and the, the Satan worship. And, you know, Insane Clown Posse was huge at the time. And everything was moving towards an edgier uh, product at that time. It was just an edgy era. And WWE was able to capitalize on that and, and, and roll with the punches. And they were able to get themselves to a point where Vince then made the next big move, which was take the company public. Vince McMahon, up until that point, everything that he was doing, he was, he was an absolute genius. And anybody that worked with him at the time would say that everything that he had done was absolutely genius his little every idea that he had he, he was the master of taking uh an idea from creative and being able to put just a tiny bit of a spin on it to make it work and make it uh, you know that much better and, and just and really make the most of everything that was put on tv at the time he was definitely called a genius a creative genius and he accomplished a lot in that Attitude Era. He was able to create so many megastars from Hulk Hogan in the 80s and Roddy Piper and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And These were all household names. The Saturday Night's main event, let's not forget about that. All the shit that he did in the 80s to make wrestling mainstream. How about getting on Saturday Night's main event? Uh, getting Saturday Night's main event uh, you know, to replace Saturday Night Live. That was... That was you know, that one Saturday Night Live with 
Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant was the most watched wrestling show in the entire history of professional wrestling. This man was a fucking genius. Somewhere along the way after they went public is where he started to lose track of himself. And, and, you know, after the Stone Cold, like I was talking about, he built so many stars in the 80s. Then in the 90s, he had Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Diesel, Razor Ramon, who weren't necessarily as big of stars. But then The Rock, Stone Cold, he was able to make household names again. And this was all Vince. Vince was a fucking genius at this time. But once the company went public, that's when he started to lose his way because now... He's not able to just do what he wants. You know, now he has masters to serve. Now he owes it to his shareholders to progressively make wrestling, you know, to, to make the WWE more profitable this month or this quarter than it was last quarter. So he had to constantly uh, just be trying to serve them and his TV masters and everything, always constantly trying to keep the ratings up, and, and this became a bit of a problem for the creative product. He wasn't really looking long-term. He was kind of booking on the fly, and a lot of his shit didn't make sense during this era. And, you know, the early 2000s, after Stone Cold left, after The Rock left, kind of became another flop. You know, he had Triple H trying to carry the company. He had The Undertaker. And mankind, you know, he tried his best through the early 2000s to maintain the momentum that he had, but he just wasn't able to. And that's kind of, you know, into the ruthless aggression era where wrestling, I feel like, really started to dip off. I actually stopped watching for a little bit during this time, and uh, it took me a little while to kind of come back into it. But you can't discount everything that Vince was able to accomplish in his career. And even through the 2000s, you know, even though he wasn't able to create the mega stars like he had used to, you know, I would say John Cena was the last great megastar he was able to, to create. I think, you know, the product continued to slip in the ratings and that sort of thing. And it became more and more bullshit and irritating. You know, we started to see... Uh, more of the bad booking coming into play, the 50-50 booking and, and just the fuck finishes and all disqualifications and countouts and all this stupid shit he started to bring into play. And I feel like he really kind of started to lose his touch at that time. But he was able to still, regardless of the quality of the booking and the actual in-ring product, he was able to just continue to keep that WWE name, that brand name at the top of pop culture. And everything he did made the WWE a household name continually. They didn't fade out or, or fall off, you know. Uh, I would argue WWE is, is still a household name to this day. You know, even at its lowest ratings that I think it's ever had or some of the lowest, lowest ratings it's ever had, He's been able to maintain its popularity in pop culture in general. Always referenced, always talked about. Now, um, I guess kind of jumping forward to these scandals that Vince uh, that have come out for Vince as of late are, 
kind of put a damper on his legacy a little bit. I had said last week or maybe the week before that it's sad that I don't want to see Vince go out like this. I don't want to see him go out in disgrace, but that's kind of where things were heading. And we knew all this shit. We knew Vince McMahon. This is the guy that had Trish Stratus walk around on all fours. This was the guy that had hot lesbian action. This was the guy that had, you know, brawn panties matches and, and, made out with Trish in front of his wife and just all this shit that Vin made Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon. We knew that this was just part of him, but we loved and respected him anyway. Now that we're in this kind of woke era where everybody's, oh, I'm woke and blah, blah, blah. Everybody's kind of all high and mighty and, and suddenly like completely disgusted with Vince. Like he didn't know that this was Vince McMahon all along. Um... It's just part of who he is, and unfortunately, that'll be a part of his legacy. But I honestly, honestly never, ever thought I'd see the day that Vince would step away. You know, we saw it looked like Triple H was kind of being groomed to eventually take over the WWE, uh, or at least him and Stephanie together. But we kind of got to a point where, and then especially, in Triple H did great with NXT. He showed that. You put Triple H in, in charge of a wrestling company, he's going to do phenomenal. I don't know so much on the business end, not that I don't think he's capable of it, but he just wasn't proven. So maybe he needed a little bit of a team around him, but uh, it looked like wrestling was going to be switching to that direction and he was going to be kind of grooming people. But as the years went by and then all of a sudden Triple H is getting power taken away from him, and NXT was completely changed after AEW came around. It seemed like Vince just kind of was never going to go away, you know. And we thought that we would never see the day that Vince McMahon would ever step down from WWE. And most people said that they thought he would die in that chair. He's going to die at the chair with the headset on. And I think most of us fully believed that. But... Now, with Stephanie McMahon taking over, I still wonder if WWE is going to be sold. You know, we all kind of thought that Nick Khan was brought on board to groom WWE for a sale. I still wonder if that's possible. But now that it's official, Vince is stepping down. I'm. This was really surprising when I read this today. Really shocking. Almost sad. Uh, like... It's surreal. You grow up with Vince McMahon. You always hear that he's going to die in that chair. He'll never let it go. I mean, what's Vince McMahon going to do with his life? He's 77, and that's even more worrisome. Not that he's going to like die tomorrow or anything, but they always say, you know, once you retire and you have nothing to do anymore, uh, it's not long before you just kind of die because <laughs> you have nothing left to live for. And that's a little bit scary. Um Makes me wonder how much more we'll actually see of Vince McMahon, if he's still going to be around, if he's going to make appearances on TV, if he's going to be at a Hall of Fame or anything like that, be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But moving forward to um, the current regime, you know, Vince had put into place John Laurinaitis and he put into place uh, Bruce Pritchard for a creative <clears throat> and... It seemed like, and, and Kevin Dunn has always been there for as long as we can remember, 
it seems like Vince had his team and he was set up. Now, with Stephanie taking over and Nick Khan taking over, you know, uh, Laurinaitis is out the door. Who knows how long Bruce Pritchard's going to last, which might be great because now he'll have more time to do his podcast again, which would be fun. Um, though, I, I mean, I barely listen to it now. And I should because... This is the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. But, you know, listening to a three-hour show, even a two-hour show, an hour-and-a-half show, when over half of it is ads, it's a bit much. Conrad's shows have kind of become the uh, ads, you know, uh, the, the Save with Conrad podcast, you know. So maybe Bruce, uh, I don't know how long, he's definitely not, you know, Stephanie was the one who fired him before, I do believe, so I don't know that she's going to be his biggest fan, I don't know what his relationship is like with Hunter, though I don't, he's not in a position to fire anybody, I'm sure he could certainly throw a recommendation out there. I don't, we've always heard that Kevin Dunn and Triple H don't really get along, Kevin Dunn and Stephanie I don't know what their relationship's like. I would assume if somebody's not well-liked by Triple H that that's going to carry over to Stephanie. I do assume that they're a team, a power couple, if you will. And I don't expect Kevin Kevin Dunn to stick around a lot longer either. Whether he's let go, relieved of his duties, or if he just decides to quit, you know, cash in on his all his shares and everything and just kind of live out his life or go do something else. So we're going to see some major shakeups. I talked earlier about the TV 14 thing that I thought maybe that this was just something that was being talked about once they found out that Vince was going to be stepping down, that this was going to be a plan that they're going to want to maybe move to a, back to a TV 14 product. And they kind of jumped the gun on letting that leak out before they were ready to actually do it. Maybe they're waiting for Vince to step down, and that's one of the changes that they're going to make. I expect to see a lot of changes. I didn't before with Steph as interim because I really thought that Vince would be running things behind the scenes. I don't think that now. I really think that this is a this is a move, and we're going to start to see what the McMahon Helmsley era is going to bring to us in the con. Isn't it weird that the cons own professional wrestling now? We got a con running AEW, and we got a con running WWE. Are they related somehow? Is this a big coup? Is this a coup? I don't think so. But I don't know a lot about him. We knew that we had all assumed that he was brought in to groom WWE for a sale. Now that he's the co-CEO, is this still going to be the case, or are they just going to keep on keeping on as a family business? Stephanie being the only McMahon left in in charge. And how long will she stick around? Will Nick Khan try to push her out? Will he try to take over, you know, speaking of a coup, will he try to take over the entire company? Will he play games to get her pushed out? Or are they going to make a good power team? You do your side of the business, I'll do my side of the business, and together we shall dominate. We saw that Triple H was put back into head of talent relations. Again, I think that he would be good for head of creative, but certainly if they're considering Paul Heyman, that might be a good move as well. I don't know how well Paul gets along with uh, with the other Paul, Hunter, or Stephanie at this point. I know him and Stephanie butted heads in the past, but Paul Heyman is obviously one of the most creative minds in the entire history of professional wrestling. And any idiot in the world would 
want to have Paul Heyman on their booking team at the very least. So I don't know if there's going to be one single head of creative that's just going to be taking it over or if there's going to be like a committee of some kind. And and what difference is that going to make? You know, if they're leaning towards a TV 14 product, are they going to get more edgy now? Are they going to cut some of these goofy writers? Are they going to allow wrestlers to... Uh, freestyle their promos a little bit more instead of trying to read them word for word. All that silly Vince McMahon shit. And the scripted product is what really has hurt professional wrestling, or has really hurt the WWE at least. Look at that promo, that FTR cut on Dynamite. Look how amazing that promo was. And then you get people on WWE and it just sounds so tainted, so watered down, so corporate and sterile and this has hurt a lot of people look at a guy like logan paul logan paul can talk you ever you ever hear this guy cut a promo in real life like he's got a podcast for fuck's sakes he's a talker he's a big mouth he's got a youtube channel he's he can talk but Look at Ronda Rousey is another example that I'll throw at you. She sucks ass on WWE TV. But if you ever watched her in the in UFC, when they put a microphone in front of her face, she was a badass. She cut a hell of a promo. The problem is, is that not every wrestler is a fucking thespian. And no, it's not, it's not a, a, a homophobic slur or anything like that. A thespian is an actor. An actor. Not every wrestler can act. Sure, it's showmanship. Sure, it's it's uh, it's entertainment. At the end of the day, you're putting on a physical play in a lot of ways. But part of the magic of, of professional wrestling and part of the magic of being a professional wrestler is being able to ad-lib, being able to freestyle it, be able to go out there with your bullet points to just know what you have to talk about. Here's what the boss wants me to get over. I got this match coming up, uh, this, this, and this. You slide it in, in your own words. You say it the way that you want to say it and make sure that you don't go over your time or anything like that. And that's basically it. And if look at all the greatest talkers in the history of wrestling. If all of those people had to come out and recite a stupid-ass script that was written by some jabron backstage... And, and then edited by Vince McMahon. It's hard for some of these people. That's why, like, a Logan Paul botched his promo on Raw. That's why Ronda Rousey is less than fucking effective in her role. Ronda Rousey's a big mouth. She's always been a big mouth. She sucks on the mic, but that's not her fault. She's just not a script reader. She sucks at reading scripts. So... I think if you allow, if whoever takes over, be it Triple H, be it Paul Heyman, I'm sure that Stephanie and Tri- even though Stephanie's like the boss, boss, the co-CEO, and I don't, and why I say Stephanie is because I don't expect Nick Khan to be too hands-on on the creative side. I don't think that's why he's. When you're co-CEO, you're going to split duties. You don't want to step on each other's toes. You know, you don't want. Nick trying to do everything that Stephanie's already doing and, and, and overruling her and people don't know where to go or who to talk to. You know, I wouldn't even expect the talent to be going to deal with Nick Khan. You know, I don't expect people to be lined up outside Nick Khan's office to talk about creative. You know, I expect that 
Nick Khan's going to handle the business shit, the network, the t- the, the USA and, and Fox, and he's going to handle all those big deals, the money stuff, and and the and getting the product out there and making all these brand deals and that sort of thing, the expansions. And I expect Stephanie to handle the wrestling part of it, and I think that's a good. That's a good way to do it. If you're going to be co-CEOs, I think that's beautiful. And if Stephanie is going to be heading up the wrestling side of it, even though Triple H isn't officially in a CEO role, you know that like they're married. They're going to they're going to consult each other. Stephanie is going to have allow Triple H to have input on this stuff. And and I don't think that they're going to create such a, a sterilized product where everybody's reading stupid ass scripts and everybody's being fake and phony and 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 really hindering capping their abilities, you know. I, I think this creative team that's gonna be put in place, whoever it is, especially if it's a Paul Heyman too, they're gonna start to let these wrestlers fly and, and let them sink or swim on their own. Writers are good for people that don't know how to talk. Not everybody can talk. And at that point, either get them a manager or, you know, if they can at least deliver something, they just don't know what to say. Having a writer or two, you know, Tony Khan, EEW could stand to have a writer or two on staff. They don't need to be writing everybody's promo and writing the whole show. They just need to be there and be available to help kind of smooth things out and fill in the blanks and, and really add that extra spice to people's promos that might need it. Just be available. Like, hey, if you guys need help with your promos, I'm here for you. You know, let me take a look at what you're trying to say, and I'll help you fine-tune it if you want. If not, go do it, you know? Um, and then what kind of – how is that going to affect the, the greater business going forward? Because uh, a lot of these people that left the WWE left because they were fed up with the creative process. They didn't like being handed a script. They didn't like all the, the bullshit restrictions and the having to fight for everything creatively all the time. Triple H is one of the boys. You know, he understands this probably as good as anybody else could, you know. And if the way that he ran NXT is any indication... I think if the Stephanie McMahon Helmsley era, if you will, is going to be a little bit more lenient, this could attract some of these people that left WWE and were not happy with it because of the creative process, because of Vince, that it could start to attract some of these people back. And, you know, where we saw like an FTR, WWE was interested in bringing back FTR, of course, because they're on the biggest run of their fucking career right now. It would be laughable for them to go, yeah, let me give up all of this, you know, because what's getting them over is great wrestling matches and great promos, and they're not going to be allowed to do that in WWE. But if those restrictions can be lifted and they can go be FTR in the WWE, we might start to see some people wanting to jump ship, and this could be very interesting, especially if the TV 14 is in play as well, like an MJF if he goes over there. Triple H, Stephanie, just kind of let him cut loose and do his thing. WWE could have another boom period. They really, really could. They could become a much better product than they are because they're unwatchable. They're unwatchable. I keep tabs on WWE. I watch certain things, but I cannot sit through a three-hour Raw. I cannot sit through a two-hour SmackDown. Half the time, I can't even sit through the pay-per-views. 
<coughs> it's bad. It's so bad. But I think there's an opportunity here for a lot to change. On the flip side, how there might be a lot of talent that are attracted back to WWE because of this change. We've also heard that Brock Lesnar walked out of SmackDown because of the Vince McMahon news and basically had said, if he's not here, I'm not here. This is going into SummerSlam where he's got a match with Roman Reigns. I don't know if this is just Brock being a hothead and cooler heads will prevail and he'll still finish out his contract or if he's just going to really say, fuck you guys, I'm not working if Vince isn't going to be there. And there may be guys that do that too. I can't imagine many because Vince has appeared to be very detrimental to the product as of late. But hey, uh, it could go both ways. It really could. But I expect this to be a major game changer for the industry. Um, Business-wise, I think, you know, Nick Khan's been kind of running the business end of it for a while. You know, like I said, the TV, de- uh, TV deals, the WWE Network deal, uh, some of these contracts, these cuts, all that stuff's been Nick Khan, not Vince. Vince has been creative. So I, I expect much more of the same. I expect WWE to be in pretty good hands. Nick Khan has proven himself to be more than capable to handle that role. And I really do think Stephanie, Triple H, if they do bring on Paul Heyman or anybody else that they might decide to bring on, I think Triple H is going to probably try to bring back a lot of his power team. You know, we might see the return of like a road dog. Um, you know, guys that went to AEW, like a William Regal, perhaps. This could be a little tougher for Tony Khan, too. Since Tony Khan has certainly benefited being an alternative place to work that's more free, more relaxed, more wrestler-friendly. Um, that's been the big attraction for all these top stars. And if WWE can start to offer that and show that, then he's going to create, they're going to create real competition for AEW. And and when I say competition, I don't mean ratings and, and household name and brand awareness because WWE still leaps and bounds above AEW in that regard. AEW's got a lot of work to go. I mean competition in, you know, all these talents that have jumped ship to AEW. Almost all of them, it's been the same story. Creative, 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 creative. It's not money. WWE's got all the money to throw around in the world. It's the bullshit promos. It's the bullshit matches. It's the never getting a push. It's the the lack of emphasis on the in-ring stuff. Uh, these people just aren't allowed to be who they are. But And a lot of these guys have good relationships with Triple H. If he's the head of talent relations now, like in FTR, they loved Triple H. They really did. So when their contracts come up and Triple H says, hey, you guys want to come back to WWE now? They might be a lot more open to listening, especially you know if the money's there. And that could cover a lot of other people. And and we could see a lot of the top guys getting sucked away from AEW back over to the WWE. It won't be everybody, though. Some people do have uh, beefs with Triple H. You know, uh, CM Punk, for example, is never, ever going to go back to WWE. You know, it wasn't going to happen under Vince, and it sure as fuck ain't going to happen under Triple H. But I feel like Triple H has built pretty good rapport with the young guys nowadays. Anybody that's been through the doors of NXT 
has nothing but good things to say about Triple H and that whole experience. Their problems didn't start till they went up to the main roster under Vince. So uh, I really do think that this is going to be the beginning of a huge turnaround and possibly a brand new boom period for WWE. And this is going to attract, you know, we're talking about the wrestlers. This is going to attract fans back too. Because there's people like me who I, I basically stopped watching wrestling until AEW came along. Excuse me. Burping up that burp that birthday. We had pizza. We went to a pizza buffet place. Oh my god. Oh my fucking god. But and I feel so full and fat and bloated and bleh, puke after this. But you know, when you get the meat sweats, ooh, too. I'll swear This is this is gonna change the game. I really do believe that, and this is gonna attract fans like me. Like I said, I basically stopped watching wrestling. Then AEW came along, and they kind of scratched that itch for me. And they're not perfect either. I got complaints about AEW. I'm not just gonna be a full-on fanboy and just love everything that they do. But they've done a lot of things that WWE done a lot of things for me that WWE hasn't. You know, I like the more violent product. I like the looser promos where guys aren't scripted. Um, I like that there's finishes in almost every match or every match. You know, there's not fuck finishes and you know that kind of stuff. But if that can change for WWE and we start to see a little bit more of an entertaining product coming back in it's really going to change the game. It's going to draw a lot more talent back. It's going to put WWE back as a major threat as far as uh, sucking talent away from AEW and just being an overall better product. I'm excited to see it. I'm sad that Vince is stepping down. It feels like a cold day in hell, even though it's hot and humid and muggy and sweaty and gross out uh, with this, this heat wave that we're getting hit with here in the summer. But this really, really, really could be a huge thing. And, and God, I just never, I never thought I would see the day that I'm talking about Vince McMahon stepping down. I really didn't. We all knew it would happen someday, but I really would have thought I'd be talking about Vince McMahon dying before I talked about Vince McMahon retiring. It just, it's so weird. And I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, I haven't even gone on YouTube yet. To, to get anybody else's take on this. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what some of the uh, more legacy people in professional wrestling have to say, like a Cornette or a Jim Ross and those kind of people. I'm just, this is, this is uh, going to freshen up the whole business, and I'm stoked to see it. I don't have a lot more else to say on this, but I wanted to give this this proper time both because like I said I was going to take the whole week off for my kid's birthday and it was a slow news week there wasn't really a lot to cover in, in the podcast world so I didn't really have anything else for you but also even if I did I probably would have scrapped it and took the whole hour show to to focus on Vince anyway because this is such a huge story and there's no way that I could try to contain that to like a 10 minute fucking clip right how do you how do you talk about Vince McMahon retiring in ten minutes? You can you can break the news, you know, you can speak about it, but you can't really analyze it and break it all down. I don't know what Vince is gonna do going forward. 
I don't know if he's still going to, like I said, I don't know if he's still going to be on TV here and there, if he's still going to be uh, a presence in any way, or if he's going to go to a golf course. I don't fucking know. What, do, what does a Vince McMahon do? He doesn't have a personal life. He doesn't like anything. He doesn't do anything. He likes wrestling. He doesn't even like wrestling. What the fuck am I talking about? He likes sports entertainment. Damn it. He's going to... I have no idea. I have no idea what Vince is going to do. He's still the majority shareholder, so he's still going to be involved to that extent. He's not selling off his shares, so that also gives him voting power. So when the board goes to vote on things, Vince is still going to basically have final say, even even over the chairman of the board. So Time will tell how all this plays out, but I, I expect to see over this year, over the next couple months and the next couple years, major, major changes to the WWE. I think TV 14's coming, even though they, they kind of put the brakes on that and, and kind of pulled back from that leak. I think that that's coming around the corner. I think we're going to start to see some major talents return to the WWE that weren't there before or that left because they didn't like the creative. And not there before, as in like an MJF, right? I, I expect to see an MJF come around. Some of the AEW homegrowns. Triple H is a very attractive person, both you know sexually and you know as a businessman. He's 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 knows how to uh, <laughs> sexually. He knows how to uh, attract those wrestlers in, you know. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it is. I'm kind of talking in circles here now. So I'll let you go. And uh, go look at other Vince McMahon stuff and get other people's takes on this. But I did want to jump in. Also, this should be released early. I'm recording it on a Friday night. I don't have all the clips to kind of edit through and, and, and add in and chop up and all that stuff. So all the thumbnails to make and that whole process. So I should be able to get this up quicker. Uh, hopefully you're listening to this either Friday night or early Saturday morning. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with me. Um, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, at Seth Grimes Media. Hit that red button down below on the YouTube there. Also, the thumbs up would be nice if you could do that. And uh, let let me know in the comments what you think about Vince. You know, is this a good thing, a bad thing? What do you expect to see? What kind of changes are we going to see? What's the business going to look like in a year, two years, five years? Let me know. Uh, holler at me and, and let's have a conversation about it. Vince McMahon stepping down from the WWE, retiring officially. Uh, before we get out of here, I also want to uh, remind you of my pro wrestling inspired NFTs, CryptomaniaNFT.com. We have the championship belts, mashing up your favorite championship belts with your favorite cryptocurrencies, if you're into that kind of thing. Also wrote a book, The Gathering, A Bold Journey into the Belly of the Juggalo Underworld on Amazon, Audible, and Kindle. All of those links and everything's in the description below. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been a very special edition of the one and only Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast.
Brothers Discovery looking to build a long-term partnership with AEW. News broke this week that Warner Brothers Discovery was looking to do more with AEW to integrate them further into the company and build a long-term partnership with them. Forgive me, I don't remember who broke the story. I don't have that information in front of me, but I know that that was making the rounds this week. And uh, this is something that I was talking about months ago. Back when uh, David Zaslav took over as the boss man over at Warner Brothers Discovery, fresh off the merger, and everybody in the wrestling business was talking, oh no, this is doom and gloom for AEW because Zaslav went in and he started firing people and cutting, gutting departments and getting rid of full movies and everybody's just like, oh man, this is... They're fucked, you know what I mean? And I was one of the first people to speak up. You know, I didn't really see anybody else out there talking about it that, you know, I was like, AEW is going to be just fine. If not, they're going to excel in this new, uh, with this new structure, you know what I mean? Um, Because I keep tabs on the insider stuff, and I was pretty well aware of what David Zaslav's intentions were with Warner Brothers Discovery and what that new company is going to look like what they're going to focus on, how they want to build their brands. And, you know, I was very outspoken. And and you can go back and look. I got clips in the archives here that, uh, you know, Discovery is going to love AEW and they're going to keep them around and they're going to give them a big fat raise on their contract. They just will. And everybody else is still, I, I still hear the doom and gloom about all this stuff. And now... Now it's starting out. Oh, now we're talking about how Warner Brothers Discovery wants to build a bigger relationship with AEW. Duh. Ben saying that. And here's why. Because they are looking to build uh they're they're looking to build up franchises. They're looking to build up fandoms. They want wrestling has a rabid fan base. They want that. They also uh want to focus on non-scripted television. Um, that's, that's a, that's a big part of their plan going forward. It's cheap to produce and AEW fits right in with that. And AEW has the ability to incorporate other stuff, has the ability to fuse in corporate synergy, as you've seen with like the house of dragon show, um, doing the, the house of the dragon, uh, episode of dynamite, um, they're able to do a lot of cross promote the like they did with Shark Week as well. Uh, AEW and look, AEW is cheap. It's cheap to do. They compared to like a scripted TV show. This is in the the ratings that they get and the demographics that they get. They're going to get a giant contract from Warner Brothers because even if their ratings haven't been able to stay over a million consistently. It's just not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. But I'm telling you guys, there's you guys watch too much Jim Cornette or something, or you watch too much like ratings just aren't what they used to be. Demographics are are more important now. That's a absolute fact. That's not a ooh we losing the ratings, so we go to tout the demographics because it still makes us look better. No, demographics are more important than the actual rating itself because nobody cares if people that can't spend money are watching your show. They, we, we're not going to advertise to to fucking an 80-year-old woman. She's not going to go out and buy our fucking any, our products. You know what I mean? Um, the other thing is that AEW, like... 
it's cheap to produce and it's live and it's it's must see TV and in a world where everything is streaming now, everything is on demand. It's just going to continue to go that way and get worse. No, people cut the cords, man. People don't watch TV anymore. People don't pay for cable unless they're watching sports. People that like sports pay for TV still because they want to watch all the live shit. Nobody pays for TV so that they can watch fucking, uh, you know, reruns of fucking SVU or something. Like, it's just you, you live TV is where it's at. And that's why wrestling is going to get such a fat raise. Both WWE and AEW. AEW is going to get the raise because Warner Brothers Discovery is going to want to keep a product on their TV program that's going to give people an incentive to want to tune in live, to watch it live. It's cheap as fuck to produce. Even with getting more money, it's going to be cheaper than any TV show, any scripted show that they could put on. Um, even reruns, like you think like, oh, they're airing reruns, like the big bang theory, right? Like, oh, they could just run more big bang theory. Even that shit is expensive to run. You have any idea how much like a Netflix paid for friends to be on there for how like millions, millions and mil multi millions, you know what I mean? Like a lot. And, um, AEW is just not going to be that much. They're going to get a fat raise. They're going to have more corporate oversight. That's going to be part of this. You know, we're hearing like, oh, don't swear so much. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's going to start to happen a little bit because they're going to want, they want to bring in AEW onto the team. They want to fold them in. That's going to be one of their brands that they're going to start to promote. Look, we got DC. We got uh, fucking what? They got the NHL now. They got the NBA. We got AEW wrestling. You know what I mean? They're going to start to tout that and they're going to use that to promote their other shit. They're going to have crossover stuff. They're going to do more of that House of Dragon, Shark Week stuff. They're going to have stars on there, maybe. At some point, they're gonna do. Uh, they're gonna utilize AEW as a partner. They're not. Just, it's not just the, this bastard child that some other fuck that used to work at TNT hired on, and now we got to deal with this shit. Like at the moment, under the new regime, AEW is a value asset to Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, they're going to sign a new contract. They're probably going to get AE or Ring of Honor on TV somehow. I don't know if on TV necessarily or on streaming. We're probably going to see um, AEW content move over to the streaming streaming platform too. That's something that Tony Khan is is well aware that fans want and that he's working on. And that was probably the prime reason to buy Ring of Honor. He didn't buy it so that he could try to shop around a TV deal for it. He bought it because that library is going to give him a bargaining chip to fucking to be able to negotiate streaming deals and everything else. He's got that much more content to offer now. It's a no-brainer. <clears throat> so uh, that's what we're going to see. You're going to see over the next five years, AEW is going to be heavily integrated into Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, will that happen forever? Could things change eventually? Absolutely. But AEW is not going anywhere off of TV. They're not going to get a, a lowball, shitty contract. They're not the bastard child of the network, despite what anybody tells you, despite what you hear from anybody. It's just simply not the case, and there's nothing there to, to show that it is. It's completely wrong. So uh, AEW is going to do very well in the next upcoming contract. Mark my motherfucking words, bitch. 
Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, was on the Swerve City podcast this week, hanging out with Swerve Strickland and his other co-host. I don't know his co-host's name. I don't remember. Some big tubby guy, cool as fuck, very chill. I uh, had Britt Baker in the house. Looks like they got a little, it's like their fucking rooms in their grandma's basement or something. It's really like uh, the room that they record this podcast in. It's fun. I mean, hey, look, I'm in my basement. So, I mean, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Um, but Britt Baker was on the show and they talked a lot of sports and shit like that. And I'm not a big sports ball guy. So that was kind of meh to me. Um, but they did get into the AEW stuff, and there was a lot of good little tidbits here. Um, Britt talked about, you know, being uh, a company girl, it seems like. You know, she's very loyal to AEW. She's talking about how, you know, any one of them are replaceable. Nobody's bigger than the company itself. You know, she's got a good relationship with Tony Khan. Talked about her, you know, relationship with Adam Cole to an extent. Um, but it was in this clip here where Swerve, uh, where it was brought up about her rivalry with Thunder Rosa. And she kind of talks about, you know, is this like a TV rivalry or do they have real life heat? And uh, check out this clip. To me, I love when other people bring that out of other people too. Somebody's always bringing something out of somebody else at some point. Sometimes you you need that. You need that little tension and competitive nature of like, Oh, I'm better than you. Show me yeah. that you're better than me. Show me that. Yep. You no, know, you need that. Yep. And, you know, so it ups each other's game. That's all. Pressure makes diamonds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, do you think um, Thunder Rose is your opposite with that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Like the 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 we always say it's kind of like the the Batman and Joker type. Mm-hmm. Like what you one needs the other for yep. the success story to happen. Um, you know, we, we don't like each other. There's always tension, but that tension makes good TV. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I still think it's my division. Winners do. <laughs> Winners should. Winners should, right. I mean, Winners should. And you've been dominating this whole time. So I'm it's trying. Like, you know, I mean, I'm just saying. Who's going to oppose that? I mean, like now, that return, it better be real. It better, you better, the games better be upped. I'm just all I'm saying. That's right. That's all I'm saying. You got to bring the thing. I never missed a, I never missed any episodes of TV with every like broken bone and injury and this Injuries, and that. So I'm, I'm just saying. Talk. Yeah, they definitely don't like each other. Thunder Rosa seems to have heat with pretty much every female backstage. I don't know what it is. I always liked Thunder Rosa. Um, she's a bit overbearing. She's she's kind of intense. She's a strong personality and i could see that rubbing people the wrong way a little bit um but i i feel like she means well i don't think she's like cancerous or bitchy or cunty uh i think she's just intense and a bit much sometimes and very overly passionate and emotionally connected and that can cause her to um be overly emotional or dramatic about things sometimes 
Um, but I think Thunder Rosa is a good person. I, you know, I, I enjoy her. I like watching her in the ring. I think she's a good talent. She's a good, iconic-looking character with her paint and colors and everything. <laughs> Apparently, you know, she's difficult to work with in the ring, too. She's a bit overly physical. I think, again, that comes out in her passion. She gets out there. She gets hyphy. She gets overexcited, and she just wants and she comes from an MMA background, and she wants to throw down. She wants to get out there and make it as live as possible you know what i mean and there are like look people talk about uh wrestling sheamus you know you get in there with sheamus he's gonna punch you in the fucking face like you know uh i would be a little bit intimidated to go out and wrestle sheamus because i'm gonna walk away in quite a bit of pain <laughs> sheamus is gonna fuck me up and there's guys out there that'll do that to you there's guys that'll just fight you and thunder rosa is one of those chicks she's gonna fight you um but in in you know what I like Brit I love Brit actually I think she seems cool as fuck as well and you know if I had to pick a team I would be on Team Brit Team Jamie Hater of course my God Jamie Hater right come on um, but it's good to have these kind of rivalries as long as they're not detrimental to the company as long as they don't turn into the brawl out you know what I mean and it doesn't come to that or even with sammy and andrade what it came to <clears throat> you can use these kind of rivalries for for storylines and matches um you know like sammy and kingston were able to work together after their little tiff that was good for business um should have been on the pay-per-view would have been better for business <clears throat> but Britt baker and thunder rosa people knowing that there's a real life storyline there there's real life heat there's real life drama there's a real life dislike for each other there that and and you see it in the ring where they go out there and they're a little bit harder with each other and they're they there's a competition there they want to be both want to be the best they want to be better than the other they want to work outwork the other so they bring the best out of each other and it makes for great television great matches great pay-per-views um I, you know, it's it's fine to have those kind of rivalries. You don't need to, like, get rid of Thunder Rosa because girls in the locker room don't like her. As long as she's not a cancer to your locker room, it's okay if, if you know, all the girls are sitting at one table and Thunder's sitting at another table in the lunchroom and they don't like each other, fine. You know, still run the school just fine, you know what I mean? Like, as long as they're not holding up business and, and getting in the way of business or being a problem to the locker room, this kind of stuff is great. And and this will be, in my opinion, will go down as, you know, when if AEW ever is able to, I don't know if they have enough history yet to start doing like documentary style content, but they don't do any of it really at this point yet. Once they get to the point where they're doing like rivalry type programming and that kind of thing, a Britt Baker Thunder Rosa rivalry would be a good story to tell. You know, they're once their careers are towards their end or reach their conclusion or played out the the feud, in uh, you know it, it may never happen. These two could be lifelong feuds, and it's great. It's great for business. I love it. Um, if you want to hear more from Britt Baker on this subject and other stuff, or if you're into sports ball and you want to hear fucking Swerve and, and Britt Baker talk sports, go check out this. Uh, go check out this show. I did put the link in the description down below. Um, but for me, this was uh, it was okay. You know, I, most of it was not enjoyable to listen to just because 
Like, I don't care about sports, but if you do, you might like this conversation. But as far as the wrestling content, good shit. Good shit. Hey, what's up, guys? Editing Seth here, just editing the podcast together. Um, Before I let you go, I did want to let you know that Kevin Nash and Sean Oliver did a really good podcast this week. Um, I did record a segment for it, but I decided against posting it. Not that it was distasteful in any way. It was very respectful, but just that I didn't want to, I guess, create content around a tragedy. But uh, Kevin Nash lost his son last week, and uh, him and him and Sean Oliver did a show together nonetheless. Not a best of, uh, nothing like that. They just talked and then got it all out, you know. Um, so. That's all I'll say about that. It was it was a very uh, heart wrenching, touching, humanizing, great episode. So uh, go check that out. But I did not include that just because I didn't want to uh, make a segment out of this and, and just you know what I mean. It's not something I want to make content off of. But I do want to let you know that it's out there. That's it, y'all. We have come to the conclusion of another full episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, listening to all my wrestling rants for the week. I do appreciate you. I appreciate my enders that hang out to the very end. Happy Halloween. I hope you guys get out and enjoy the holiday. Go trick-or-treating. Carve a fucking pumpkin. Go to a Halloween store. Find a costume. Fucking go to a haunted house. Like, enjoy the season. Watch a horror movie. I've been watching tons of horror movies this month. Like, a lot. I started out trying to do the 31 on 31 thing. I don't know if some of you follow me on Facebook or Twitter. I started posting, like, 31s on 31s. And it's just got to be overwhelming to, like, write a full review every single day. Plus my work schedule and plus all this. Like, it's just... I can only do so much, but, and, you know, there are nights where, like, I just, I didn't have time to watch a movie, so I'm not able to do the full 31 on 31, but I've been taking in as much horror content as I could this month, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It was very horror heavy, and in, in, and in the theaters, too. I went to see Barbarian. I think that was in September, but, you know, close enough, and then I went to see Terrifier 2, and then I went to see Halloween Ends, um, so... Lots of good stuff there. Um, As I said at the beginning of the show, if you want to check out my review of Halloween Ends or my ranking of the Halloween series, those videos are up on the channel here. Um, Also have my reactions, if you are into reaction videos at all, mostly to music videos, movie trailers, TV show trailers, other random fun stuff. I did a reaction of a raccoon eating Cheetos. So lots of lots of different uh, little tidbits on there as well if you're into that kind of thing. I got a book out, The Gathering, A Bold Journey into the Belly of the Juggalo Underworld. A very fun read, a quick read, a laugh-out-loud read. I'm not one to just toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own horn. This is a good, fun book. I make myself laugh every time I listen to it. Uh, The narrator is fantastic if you do the audiobook version. He's so good. Um, It's just a really fun book. And then I also have the NFTs, Cryptomania NFTs. Uh, the championship belts inspired by all the top cryptos. And finally, finally, 
If you could, like, follow, and subscribe at Seth Grimes Media on TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. And hit the subscribe button down below if you liked this video, if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, hit the like button, too, if you liked it. All that shit helps. Leave a comment. It all helps me grow. All that shit's important to the, the algorithm, the Al Gore's rhythm of the, of the YouTube. Um, so help a brother out. You know what I mean? Throw me a bone. But with all that said, happy Halloween. Peace, love, and pizza. I am your boy, Seth Grimes. And we will catch you in the next video. <clears throat> But with all that said, peace, love, and pizza, I am your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm, I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.